Hello again, friends. Welcome on into episode 221 of the SCO Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network, brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield. Here in the big chair for today, Wednesday, November 24th, 2021. It is Thanksgiving Eve in the States. Thanksgiving Eve used to be a much different different kind of day for me, or really a different kind of night, right? It's one of the, the most popular bar nights um, in the States because you go home, see all your high school buddies, uh, your buddies from your hometown, go out to the bars, have a couple of drinks, tell some war stories, talk about the glory days, talk about touchdown passes that got called back against Walpole on, on Thanksgiving Day, 1994. Not that I'm still bitter about that or anything, uh, but it's a little different now. You know, I'm going to probably spend most of my night after I get done cooking playing Animal Crossing, which I've been playing a lot lately. So we will talk video games a little bit later, but today's show is a mailbag show. I haven't done one of these in a while. Got a couple of questions, good handful of questions, actually, which I'm going to dive into in a second. We're going to talk some Thanksgiving stuff. We're going to talk Daniel Jones. We're going to talk uh, young quarterbacks. We're going to talk run game stuff, a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, So... Before we dive into that, usual cavalcade of reminders, please do follow along with the hijinks on the staking map at Mark Schofield. Check out the work USA Today's Touchdown Wire, Matt Waldwin's RSP Quick Game Podcast, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, Pat's Pulpit, Blogging the Boys, all the places that you can find me are in the old bio on the staking map. Also want to give a quick plug and shout, uh, Tuesday night, most of you probably were at least aware of it. I know some of you watched it live. Uh, Chris Vassour, at Coach Vass on Twitter, one of my favorite people on the planet. Um, He and I sat down for about three hours. And really, it was Coach Vass who did 90% of the talking, which was for the best. Uh, Breaking down the Patriots' defense against Atlanta. And it was just an absolute master class in fronts, in bare fronts in coverages, in alignments, and techniques. Uh, we broke down every single defensive snap against the Atlanta Falcons. Um, like I said, it's three hours of just absolute nerdy football stuff. And if that sounds fun, it's on his YouTube channel, um, just Coach Vass on YouTube. I learned so much in the course of those three hours. Um and, you know, we talked about players and techniques and spent a lot of time roasting some of the guys on Atlanta, which was really enjoyable. So check it out if, if you get a chance. Let's dive in. Um, no particular order to this. Usually I, I kind of structure these, but we're just going free flow today because I'm already in holiday mode. First question comes to my good buddy, Richard Schrager. You can follow him on Twitter at R-S-S-C-H-R-A-G-E-R-N. Schrager and I used to practice law together. Actually, we tried a case against each other back in the day. Um, we go way back. We used to play uh, sort of law league intramural softball. He was a third baseman. I was a shortstop uh, next to each other. Those were the days back when back when I could move. Um, and he asks, because he's a bitter Giants fan, why do they keep making us watch the Lions on Turkey Day? Um, I'm a big believer in traditions. I like traditions. Um, some traditions need to, however, perhaps die. And I know the lines on Thanksgiving Day is one of those traditions that the NFL doesn't want to seem to get rid of. And I know it means a lot to the city of Detroit. 
and so I sort of understand in that sense, but you'd like to see some better. I mean, I mean, we're getting Tim Boyle versus Andy Dalton on Thursday morning or, you know, early afternoon, depending where you are in the States. That's a bit rough. I'm not going to lie. And I'm not saying that our family ties the Thanksgiving mealtime to Lions games, but we typically have more of a lunch as opposed to a dinner. And they typically get served around the midpoint of the first quarter of the Lions game. Maybe that says something. I don't know. I don't know, but it's a tradition. I'd like to see some rotation to these games, but it means a lot to the Detroit city, the Detroit fan base. They take some pride in it. So I guess we'll probably see it for the near and distant future. Parzingars at G-A-R-S-P-A-R-S-N on the stake amount. Best Thanksgiving dessert and best young quarterback three years or less not named Herbert. Happy Thanksgiving, Mark. Happy Thanksgiving, Pars. Best Thanksgiving dessert. Um, I'm not really a dessert guy, to be honest. Like, and I'm going to get into stuffing in a second. Uh, I've got some thoughts on stuffing. But I'm far more likely to load up with like a third plate and forget about dessert than I am to like pass on, say, the third plate and make some make sure I save some room for dessert. Now, that being said, there will be two components this year to the dessert portion of the proceedings, which I am very excited about. As I said, today's Wednesday. It is Wednesday morning. It is around 8.15 here on the East Coast. And one of the things I'm going to be doing later this afternoon once I get done working for the day is taking a crack at making my version of the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup Pie. Most of you probably saw this. For those that are not aware, Reese's announced this year a limited run of Thanksgiving Day Peanut Butter Cup Pies, which is basically just like an, an oversized peanut butter cup. They produced 3,000 of them, which sold out basically overnight. And so I've tracked down a couple of different recipes, so I'm going to take a stab at making one. It may be a colossal epic fail. Maybe an absolutely colossal epic fail. But I'm going to give it a shot. So I'm excited about that. I'm also excited, I tweeted about this like a week ago, the limited edition Oreo gingerbread variety. They're fantastic. And I did something bad the other day. I was shuffling the kids around some post-school, after-school activities on Monday. And on the way back, I stopped in at a local giant and I spent $25 on Oreos, which seems a bit much. Um, but I got like th three packs of those. So I'm going to put those out as well. You know, but I have dabbled... In the pie making realm, I remember the first Thanksgiving I I, I took a stab at making a pie. Oh, it was maybe like, you know, 12, 13 years ago, maybe even longer than that. We were back up in Boston and I, I made an apple pie and my grandfather, this was before he passed away, roasted me because the, the bottom to the pie, the apple pie that I made, like disintegrated and he was just roasting me the entire dessert course. Like... How can you do this? Like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. Like, how can you have a pie without a bottom? It's not even a pie. It's a crumble. Like, what are you doing on it? And it was like, 
hilarious. Um, so I have a soft spot for for apple pie as a result of, of that. Now, to the bigger question here, the reason why you probably endured that long diatribe about desserts, best young quarterback not named Herbert. Um, I I still lean Burrow. The, the way he's come back from that injury, the way he handles that offense, the line of scrimmage, the trust that Zach Taylor has put in him, to operate that offense at the line of scrimmage, I think is extremely impressive. So I remain very excited about Burrow. If you want to extend it a few years before him, I think Kyler is obviously an incredible talent. And, you know, perhaps I got to take an L on how well he's playing because when I did preseason quarterback rankings over a touchdown wire at USA Today, I didn't have him in the top 15. And, yeah, maybe I whiffed wildly on that one. Um, but Kyler as well. But I do think Burrow is fantastic. I, I, Again, this is a good time to remind everybody to hit the pause button, to practice patience um, when it comes to quarterbacks. Because as we've seen over the past couple of weeks with Jalen Hurts, like it, you need to give them time. And I know we've got some Mac questions for a little bit later in the show, but you, you need to practice patience with the young quarterbacks. But those are some of the guys that, that stick out to me. Question from Erica Prohl, one of the OGs, dating back to the Locked On Patriots days on the Bird app. At Realtor, R-E-A-L-T-O-R-613, and just her new pop, Brewski, yes, named after Teddy. He's absolutely adorable. Um, so, you know, she posts pictures of him all the time on Instagram. He's absolutely adorable. Um, so follow her on Twitter and then, you know, check out the pictures of Brewski. Uh, I've got a soft spot, obviously for cat pictures, but also for dog pictures, also for pups. Brewski is adorable. Favorite side dish you always look forward to at Thanksgiving dinner. And here's where I go into the stuffing room. And I've probably talked about this on Thanksgiving's past, but my family, we, my wife and I, we host, we've hosted now dating back maybe like 10 years or so. And we'll be hosting again this year. We obviously didn't host last year because of COVID, but this year we got everybody vaxxed and stuff, so we'll be able to get together, um, which which feels good. We make two different kinds of stuffing. And the reason for that is the first year the families got together, my family and my wife's side of the family. Um, my wife's side of the family, they're, they're from the Midwest. My wife was born in Nebraska. And then after living in Nebraska for a bit, in the Houston area for a short time, basically settled in out, outside of Chicago. But they're Midwesterners, and they make a more traditional stuff in with like water chestnuts and raisins, and you use the the turkey giblets, and you know it's it's an entire process. So the first year we all get together, we made that, but we also made my family's stuff in, and again. You hear the accent. If you're listening to this, you know I grew up around Boston in the Walth- in Waltham. Um, my side of the family always had the Italian sausage stuffing, right? With Italian sausage and, and parsley and eggs. And that was always my favorite part of, of Thanksgiving. That coupled with the fact that there would always be like one or two sausages left over that my mom would just like kind of like cook in the oven. And so I would just eat those too. I mean, I'm a huge sucker for sausage and the cured meats and all that stuff. 
So the first year we got together, we made both stuffings. And to my utter dismay, everybody on both sides of the family, including my side of the family, preferred the stuffing from my wife's side of the family. And so perhaps out of the stubbornness of my cold, dark heart, I make the Italian sausage stuffing every year and it's really just for me. Everybody else prefers the other one. That's the stuffing that goes into the bird. Like, like that's the stuffing that everybody else eats. And it's just me and my sad pile of Italian sausage stuff. And so I make it on Wednesday. I'm the only one that eats it. I've tweaked it a bit. I've started instead of regular paprika, smoked paprika. I thought it gives it a nice little flavor and some layers to it. But that's what I look forward to the most. The fact that I am adding another thing that we have to make just for me, I, I think kind of spells it out a bit. Uh, Salvatore Stefanile at SalPal2. Who do you think will have a better long-term career? Trevor Simeon, Daniel Jones, and why? And this is a question that's kind of tough to answer right now in the sense that there's a lot of uncertainty around the New York football giants. Obviously, they just fired Jason Garrett. And I'll probably be hopping on with Ed Valentine, a big blue view, a little bit later today for a show that will drop later this week about that. I don't think Garrett was the sole problem in New York. I think there are bigger issues with that offense. But you can't fire the entire offensive line. You can't fire Daniel Jones. And so Jason Garrett was kind of the easy scapegoat. But I think because of draft capital, Daniel Jones is going to get a longer leash. He might get, if the Giants hire a new general manager who decides to go in a different direction, you know, he's going to get another opportunity. You know, you get drafted seventh overall or sixth overall, you're going to get other opportunities. That's why I think at some point Mitchell Trubisky, Trubisky probably gets another opportunity. And I also think that, look, that there's a there's a good quarterback inside of Daniel Jones. It's just you have to recalibrate your expectations. You have to really sort of cater the offense to him. I, I think he's much better suited in a vertical downfield passing game. But I'm not sure that they really had the opportunity to structure that around him, given concerns from protection. So I think because of draft capital and pure talent, Jones will go on to have the longer, better career. But it's not a gimme. I mean, it's like a 60-40 thing in my mind. Johnny Skin at JWSKINN. Are more teams putting a larger share towards the running game over the past couple of seasons? Or is it just teams are having more noticeable success as teams go to small, more athletic linebackers to defend the pass over the past few seasons. And this is that sort of cyclical nature of football that I absolutely love. And I think this is a brilliant question. And I think it's why you're seeing teams like Philadelphia, teams like New England have success in recent weeks. And it's something that, you know, longtime listeners to the show might recall that I've kind of said was coming, right? It's that... Adjustment to the adjustment. As as teams got smaller and lighter and faster and more athletic and we started seeing this like big 12-vacation of the NFL game, right? When you spread to run and 4-2-5, 3-2-6, all the sub-packages that you see on the field now. Eventually, teams were going to counter that. 
and I talked about this with Matt Waldman on the RSP Quick Game podcast the other the other week. It's also a market inefficiency thing because if offenses are going to say, look, we need to be lighter, faster, smaller, we need more scat back types, the big bruiser types are going to be available in free agency, are going to fall in the drafts. And so you could start constructing, you know, a run-through-your-face kind of offense, and you're seeing teams like Cleveland with their offensive line and Minnesota, New England, Philadelphia, the Colts, I mean – how many times did they run crunch, the like wham trap play against the Bills? And they just ran it down their throats. Frank Reich had a fantastic quote that he gave Peter Kane after that game where it was just like, I decided around halftime that we were just going to run it on first and second down because they couldn't stop us. And I just, I thought there was just no reason to put the ball in the air. We were just going to run down their throats. I think this is the adjustment now to the adjustment. As defenses got lighter, as teams started relying on hybrid safety types to be linebackers in these packages, now you're talking about getting guards moving up to the second level and they're finding safety types. Yeah, teams are going to get more physical and rely on the run game a bit. So that's quick run through the first batch of questions. When we come back, we're going to talk more Thanksgiving stuff. We're going to talk backup quarterback stuff and a whole lot more. That's ahead. Here in a pre-Thanksgiving Day installment of the Sco Show. Mark Schofield back with you now in episode 221 of the Sco Show. And still got a lot more to get into, so let's just dive back into it. Next question comes to us from Allstair at HR Tinker. H-R-T-I-N-K-E-R on the Bird app. Which part of Thanksgiving would you put on IR? And what would you activate to replace it? There's not really anything that I would get rid of. I mean, as I said, like I, I'm more, far more likely to have a third plate than I am dessert. So, I mean, if there's anything that I could kind of just, you know, see go away, it'd be dessert. But, I mean, that's almost sacrilege, right? A lot of people just live for the dessert course. Um, there's always an effort to, like, force, like, an extra vegetable, Right. Thankfully, my wife and I agree we didn't need to do it this year. But, like, in years past, we would try, like, a Brussels sprout dish, like a roasted Brussels sprouts, which was, like, okay. But you don't need to force that. As Coach Belichick said on Tuesday, starts me up, right? Starts me up on Thanksgiving. So the idea of, like, forcing that extra vegetable, like a Brussels sprout or a creamed spinach or a roast dish, meh, you don't need that. And to replace it, if you have mashed potatoes, like, bring in a scallops potato, too. Like, like starch me up. And he also asked, Oster also asked, who is your next manager for Newcastle United once the Saudis sack Eddie Howe in a few months, which probably will, will happen. And I know the, the odds were long on this before they named Eddie Howe, but Roberto Mancini, I mean, a, a lot of people talked about Mancini, how, look, he's done it before. He's turned the teams around before. He's turned clubs around before. Uh, it was Trevor Sinclair, who was gave an interview and basically said, you need a manager who's done this before. The first name which springs to mind is Roberto Mancini. He's done it at Man City. At Man City, You look at the Man City model, the way they've done it, the way they've been so successful. Take away the Champions League and they've won everything. I don't know, and this is me now, I don't know if he'd walk away from Italy because he's currently, you know, their club, their national team manager. Um, but I, yeah, Roberto Mancini. Just like back the Brinks truck up. You know, give him whatever he wants. That would be my name. Obviously, look, my fingers are crossed for the Eddie Howe era, but 
as Austair said, like they're probably going to move on from him at some point. So, yeah, Roberto Mancini would be my, my call there. Uh, from Victor at J-A-S-P-E-R-755. Which backup quarterback do you think has the most talent to be a good starting QB? For example, if a team was looking for a new starting quarterback, who would you recommend they try to trade for or sign? A couple of names come to mind. P.J. Walker. I know, look, the Carolina Panthers, they signed Cam Newton, and you know that's the direction they're going with now, but I, I still like P.J. Walker. I think he did some things in, I forget, yeah, I think it was the XFL or the AAF, whichever one, um, where he looked good. Made some plays in, in the one start that he had. You know, obviously, they went to Cam right away, and Cam even played a lot in that game, but I think P.J. Walker is intriguing to me. I think he could put together an offense for him where he could be successful. And then, maybe this is recency bias, maybe this is regional bias in a sense, but Taylor Heineke. And I, I still think Heineke is the Colt McCoy that we've been searching for, right? The long-term backup spot starter that I'll be doing this show 10 Thanksgivings from now, and we'll be talking about, well, you know, Taylor Heineke's getting the start tomorrow for the Birmingham Stallions of the new United NFL, USFL League, and, you know, they got a shot to win in their Thanksgiving Day game against the Houston Gamblers now that the Detroit Lions are playing um, on Friday, on Black Friday football. Um, I think Taylor Heineke, though, has shown some development. Mark Bullock, who has a substack, covers the Washington football team, had a, had a great piece about his sort of development, about Heineke's development, and how he's gotten better over the course of his run here as Washington starter. His game against Carolina had some really impressive anticipation throws to it, some tight window throws, and so I'd say maybe Taylor Heineke. Maybe Taylor Heineke. Next question comes from the one and only Pat Lane, host of the Patriot Nation podcast here on the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network, also one of the great people at Pat's Pulpit. He asks, oh, you can follow Pat on Twitter at P-L-A-N-E underscore Pat's. If you could throw on the headset and change one thing about the Patriots offense right now, what would it be? And a couple weeks ago, I would have said the the crack toss play, get rid of it, it wasn't working. But now that they've sort of figured that out with, with Nikhil Harry, sometimes as the crack guy, they, now they've got Trent Brown back, sometimes as the guy that's pulling outside, the crack toss play can stay. I mean, it's more of a philosophical thing. You know, at some point, you need to really sort of take the training wheels off of Mac Jones here let him attack a bit more downfield. But honestly, look, they, they found, for the most part, a recipe that works. Now, are, are there play calls? Are there designs that, you know, you could quibble with? You could say, oh, you know, maybe don't do this as much. Maybe don't do this as much. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think there are moments where they can get a bit too conservative. But I think that also stems from the fact that they trust their defense right now that, they can be conservative. They can punt on a fourth down and one. They can, you know, run inside zone on third and long and say, look, you know, if we don't get it, we'll we'll turn it around with the defense on the next possession. So I kind of like where the offense is, to be honest. I mean, I'd like to see a bit more in the downfield passing game, but I think that will come. I think I'd like to see a little bit more put on max plate, but I do think that will come. Um, and I think from sort of a protection standpoint – They've done some tweaks to it that I think are good. Um, the sniffer package, although 
as Vast and I sort of talked about on Tuesday night, when you walk that sniffer up, you're declaring that it's a pass, which is a very good point. But I think today's NFL, you're probably throwing the football anywhere in third and long. And so, you know, but I, I think honestly, the offense is in a pretty good shape. So, so I'm excited about where it is. I'm excited about the future of this offense. Uh, next question comes from Crocky, my good friend over at. Um, he covers the Eagles with some great people. Um, you can follow him on Twitter at M-R-C-R-O-C-K-P-O-T. If Jalen Hurts was a Thanksgiving dish, what would he be? And this is a fascinating question because I I do cover the Eagles. Rachel Prevett, who please follow Rachel. I'm going to stop asking nicely. Okay, I'm going to start demanding, but you can follow her on Twitter at R-A-I-C-H-E-L-E-M-O-N-I-Q-U-E. Her and I do uh, the QB Factory reboot over at Bleeding Green Radio. And it's, let me tell you how cool my job is, all right? Tuesdays, I get to talk Eagles and quarterbacks with Rachelle in the morning. I do the RSP quick game with Matt Waldman in the afternoon. Then, like I said, on Tuesday night, I, I spent three hours, well, actually more than that, with pre and po- post show time uh, with Coach Vast, and then I get to wake up Wednesday morning and, and talk ball with Doug Farrar. I mean, if you would have told me six years ago that that would be how I'd be spending like a twenty four hour period, I would have said that no way, you, you you're crazy. That's what I get to do. It's super fun. Um, so I do cover the Eagles with her. We have a ton of fun doing that show, and I, I wrote a piece about the Eagles. And how they're sort of figuring things out and Sirianni is adjusted things. And it made me sort of think in response to this question, what is Jalen Hurts? And he's kind of the glue that holds that offense together in a way because they're running the football a ton, but they're using some QB run elements and they're not putting a ton of stuff on his plate from a passing perspective, but he's critical to what they do in the run game. He's kind of like the glue that holds it together. Do you want to say that Jalen Hurts is like the gravy? Because let's be honest, like, you'll get your mashed potatoes, you'll get your turkey, you'll get your stuffing, but something that you can use to tie it all together, the gravy. Jalen Hurts, the gravy of the 2021 Philadelphia Eagles. Wind it things down here. Next question comes on the Bird app uh, from David Ackman, D-A-V-I-D-A-K-M-A-N. What game are you playing, and which characters from the game do Mac, Judon, and Mills remind you of? Um, this is a brilliant question, and it just so happens that in addition to playing a lot of uh, Call of Duty Vanguard right now, I'm trying to grind my way, rank, you know, level up the automaton. Um, I'm so bad at those games, so bad at those games, but I was telling my wife, though, when, when you're trying to play Domination on Shipyard, which is just, it's like a grind house. I, I, I keep telling her that it's it's a way to keep the, like, brain working and the processes be working. Because when you're trying to, like, you know, use a kill streak, reload, or switch weapons, and it's all happening within, like, 1.5 seconds, like, like, it's like doing Sudokus to keep the mind sharp. So I'm trying to stave off early onset dementia by playing these these first-person shooter games. At least that's how I'm justifying it to myself when I, you know, slink downstairs on a Tuesday night to play video games. Um, but in addition to playing Warzone, I'm going through another Red Dead 2 replay. 
and they're that's a very character rich game. And so Mac is Arthur Morgan. I mean, he's the protagonist of it all from my point of view, right? Yes, this year is all about the defense right now and the run game, but I'm a quarterback guy. I'm viewing it through the quarterback's lens. So Mac is Arthur Morgan. I think Judon is John Marston. Like, you know he's destined for great things. You know he's going to do huge things down the road, particularly because, obviously, the initial Red Dead was from his perspective. And I think Mills is Micah. Got a little bit of crazy streak to him. A little bit of a... You know, there's there's something that's not quite right, but, you know, obviously essential to the story. I almost said Judon was Micah because of his mac and cheese take, but I went in a different direction there. Next question comes from Lee Dale, excuse me, at L-E-E-D-A-L-E-U-K. Two questions for tomorrow, if I may. First, when will you finally admit your cats control the show and not you? And more seriously, how does the Pats' rapid rebuild affect other teams in rebuilds? If Bill can do it with a 7-5 COVID hit season after losing Tom as his bad year, then what does that mean for other coaches? P.S. Thanks for the great pods and cat picks. And I will take no credit for the pods and absolutely no credit for the cat picks because they do run the show. Let's be honest here. I mean, part of the reason I dragged myself out of bed on a day when, you know, I could have slept in a little bit was because I had Sonny smacking my face at 5.45 in the morning. The cats run the show. And it is just a matter of time. It's funny. I saw Aaron Lemon, who's on Twitter, at Aaron Lemon NFL. Um, he's um, taken in foster dogs for years. But he's been doing it with a cat right now. And he, he put together a quick little mini thread about the difference between dogs and cats. And and somebody basically, there were a lot of great replies to it. Most of them, which were to the effect of, you know, dogs are loyal. Cats will murder. Like, cats are so indifferent to you. And that's kind of what intrigues me about them. Because they're, I, I make a, it's one of my various bits on Twitter. My two cats, Sonny and Rosie, are trying to kill me. And I've shown some videos of Sonny and Rosie, both of them, like diving up my ankles as I walk down the stairs. It happens all the time. And there's another great meme out there. You know, kitten does nothing but think of murder all day. Like, that's cats. Um, so, yeah, they, they totally run the show. But as far as Bill's turnaround, I mean, I, I think what it does is it shows other ownership groups that a quick turnaround is possible but let's not forget they had a ton of money at their disposal a ton of money at their disposal so you know when you've got a hundred million in cap space or so to play with like you can implement a quick turnaround so you know that might force teams to sort of look at their books and say okay well two years down the road we'll have a ton of money at our disposal we need to use it wisely it also goes to okay the, the and I've talked about this a lot the Patriots sort of pro scouting department and how they get a lot right from that perspective. So I think that's that's critical to this. I also think, look, they got the draft, at least sitting here right now, they seem to have nailed some picks in this draft. Max seems like he could be the guy. And we shouldn't be surprised by the Barmore impact. Remember, I'm somebody that sat here before the draft and said they might draft him at 15 kids. You know, they traded up in the second round to go get him. 
He's been critical to what they've done. Stevenson has been, I think, pretty big for them as well. Look, they, they seem to have gotten some picks right. And particularly, look, you get the quarterback right, things can flow from that. Now, they were lucky, obviously, they got the quarterback right in 99 when they drafted him in the sixth round. Like, yeah, but 2000, whenever they drafted Brady. Look, I'm winding down here. But you get the quarterback piece right, things can flow from that. And it does seem like they got the quarterback piece right, which is huge. So I, I think that will be the lesson for other teams. We know it's a copycat league, so teams will look at this and say, well, what do you have to do? Have a ton of money to spend, get the quarterback piece right. You might have some success. Next question, and I believe it is the last question. From my good friend Ian McDonald at Ian C M A C D O N A L D. What should we look for from Mac over the next six games as he continues to develop for a possible playoff run? What would you like to see him realistically add on over that time? And this is a great way to sort of end the show. And there are two things. Well, really three things, I think. Two are in sort of the same realm, and it's the process and speed decision-making, both in the downfield passing game and in terms of protections up front. And I, I talked a lot about protections in this week's installment of Mac Attack, right? You know, the, the sacks that were given up and how there were things that he probably thought were blocked up, but just assumed they were blocked up and didn't, confirm they were blocked up because had he confirmed he might have seen that they weren't exactly blocked up the way he thought and he might have been able to get ahead of things now look the third down conversion to Jacoby Myers where Deron Harmon had the free rush on him that was fantastic but that was what he could see right and so it's it's getting the eyes to those soft spots which is something he did at Alabama and so it's not a situation where I'm like I don't know if he'll ever figure it out I know he will like I want to see it happen now as opposed to say next year and so that's something I'd like to see from a protection standpoint. And then from the downfield passing standpoint, like, you always got to be faster. Like, nothing wrong with being super fast with your reads, decisions, and how you progress through op options in the downfield passing game. You think about the interception you threw against Atlanta. Great job moving the safety with your eyes. But as we've talked about, like, get the eyes then back to Smith and make sure that AJ Terrell isn't in a position to poach that. And if he is, make a different throw. It took me 60 seconds to describe that. You've got to do it in three. Again, playing quarterback ain't easy, kids. You know? That's why I spend so much time getting into the nuts and molds and nitty-gritty of it. It's not easy. Um, but those things. And then, of course, just generally, like, the aggressiveness downfield. Like, I think it's there. And I think he's putting it on tape each week a little bit more and a little bit more. Now, we talked about against Atlanta, there were some options where he didn't take chances downfield, that he might have had windows to throw into downfield, but he decided not to. I'd like to see him do it a little bit more. Now, in terms of, like, are there numbers I'm looking for? No. As I say all the time about young quarterbacks, particularly rookie quarterbacks in their first year, I want them to be better in Week 18 than they were in Week 1. And I think... If this were week 18, if this were January 8th, 2022, and the regular season was over, I would sit here with 100% sincerity and say, 
Mac Jones did what he needed to do this year because he is a much better quarterback right now than he was in week one. Period. Full stop. And if this if the season ended right now, I would say that Mac Jones was the best of the bunch of the best of the five. Easily. Easily. Now look, we're, we've still got games to be played. We've got a stretch run of we're going to start having quote-unquote playoff games now so we see how Mac handles it. There might be a game where they have to throw to win. How does Mac handle that? You know, there might be a game that becomes sort of a shootout. The Bills game in two weeks might be that. How does Mac handle that? So there's stuff remaining to be done, decided, played. So, you know, we'll pause on the Mac has done his job conclusion for now. But I am supremely confident that once those games are played and those moments are put into the books, that Mac will that we will still be able to say that Mac is a better quarterback now than he was when the season started. I, I think he's on that trajectory, trajectory, which will be a massive, massive win for this organization. Now, in talking to people around the league, a lot of people have said to me, well, Mark, we should have known this, right? Like the argument for Mac was he's the floor guy, right? He's the comfy blanket of a floor quarterback that you can plug into a pro-style offense and he's going to be good because he doesn't have to develop a ton. The question with Mac will be the ceiling, okay? Does he get much better than what he is right now? And if he fills out those areas, if he adds a little bit more velocity on throws, that ceiling is not as low as we thought. You know, if you thought Mac was the high floor, low ceiling guy, well, suddenly he becomes high floor, supremely high floor, perhaps, and a bit higher ceiling than what we perhaps thought. And if you start thinking about, well, what's a high ceiling comp for Mac Jones? Is it Cousins Plus? And let's not forget, for all the, the, the jokes and memes and stuff that are made about Cousins, PFF has him graded as the top quarterback in the league right now. And say what you want about PFF grades, but, you know, teams do sort of use them as a data point. I mean, you can go to Ben Baldwin's site, rbsdm.com, and he's got the quarterback efficiency plot that looks at EPA per play and completion percentage above expectation. And in that upper right quadrant, you see Kirk Cousins right next to Patrick Mahomes. And sort of nearby, you also see Mac Jones. I mean, I don't think you're going to look at Mac Jones right now, his trajectory and where he is, and say, look, he's Aaron Rodgers, or he's going to be Patrick Mahomes. But I think you look at Kirk Cousins plus and say, yeah, maybe that's his ceiling. Is And there were some Kirk Cousins comps pre-draft to him. And now it's like, okay, well, maybe he can get to at least the Kirk Cousins level, maybe beyond that. And so, look, in all, it's a very exciting time, I think, if you're a Patriots fan. And, of course, you think back to draft night and it's only, it's Mac Jones and the memeable moments of me and everybody else at Pat's pulpit being crestfallen that didn't get Justin Fields and then starting to, like I said, now we talk ourselves into Mac Jones and here we are. And so I'm excited to see the next couple of steps in his evolutionary process as a quarterback. Those are the things that I'm looking for. And now we start to really get our hopes up that, okay, not only is he going to be the floor guy, can he be the ceiling guy too? So there you go. That's 40 minutes of football talk for me. Now it's time to 
go start cooking. To everybody listening, um, thank you. Um, it is Thanksgiving season here in the States, and it's time to be thankful. And I'm thankful I get to do this. I'm thankful that I get to do this for a living. And I get to talk about a sport that I love that has given me so much. And I get to do it for people that I love. Um, the, the listeners to the show, the readers of the work, the people that have supported me along the way, it truly means the world to me. You know, I, I left the practice of law because it was destroying me. And now I get to do this and it fulfills me. And that makes me the luckiest dude on this planet. Period. And it couldn't be, it wouldn't be possible without all of you supporting me throughout the years. And I thank you all so much. I wish you all the best this holiday season. Um, for those of you that, that, that might be struggling, might be dealing with some things, you know, the DMs are always open. You can reach out to me um, at Mark Schofield on Twitter. Until next time, friends, I will be back Monday uh, post game, hopefully a glorious victory show. I hope you have a wonderful holiday here in the States, around the world, wherever you are. Stay safe. Check in on your neighbors. Check in on your loved one. Wash those hands. And when you do, sing along. And bless those Patriots' reigns. Down and fall. <laughs>